You may be busy doing something while you listen to this podcast, but you're never too busy to eat healthy if you eat Vite Ramen. This podcast is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Show support for a sponsor that supports Moore's Law is Dead at the link in the description. And if you do, make sure you use offer code BROKENSILICON. And you can also support Moore's Law is Dead if you need Windows keys or software at cdkeyoffer.com. If you go there, also use the code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows keys or Die Shrink for 3% off everything else on the website. All right, now let's get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Dan. How you doing, Dan? Uh, I'm not too bad, I suppose. How are you doing? I'm pretty tired. Um, I just finished one of those almost like 30-minute videos going over, well, we'll talk about it, <laughs> uh, AMD's options with Zen 5 that I think make them more than competitive with Arrow Lake if they want to be. I think mm-hmm. that's a real question too. Actually, I think a lot of the stories we're going to be talking about today are like, when do companies want to even try to win anymore? Like, is it even worth the money to win in some markets? I, I think half of the stories kind of touch on that concept, actually. Well, yeah. I mean, there's just the fact that, yeah, in a lot of ways, there's not that much money in the consumer market, especially in some sectors. So, yeah, it makes you wonder, like, or to some tiers, I should say. Like, was it always a mistake? Was it a mistake in the past more often than people realize? Like, all this money spent to win gaming benchmarks in the past few decades by 10% that could have gone towards other stuff. But at the same time, if I just think about it, I mean, NVIDIA was people go look at their stock price from 20 years ago, they were a tiny company. That really yeah. couldn't even be bothered to attempt to compete in other markets. And the same goes for actually a lot of the companies <laughs> we're talking about today. And at the same time, I guess, you know, a lot of the truly like next level things you can do with a lot of these technologies that have been built for 30 years, they just weren't there yet. So they maybe they were only really useful for like entertaining consumers until until they could do anything useful besides you know, higher resolution stuff or something. I mean, that's true. Like, I mean, it's still a relatively new thing where AI is this gigantic thing that uh, NVIDIA has just become the easy market leader in at this point. So that's obviously a huge part of their market cap. Mm -hmm. Well, eh, let's get to the first eh. reader mail here. Chagahawk writes in and he says, Hi, Tom and Dan. In the latest Broken Silicon, I really like the part where you talked about dogs. We do a podcast where you only talk about dogs. We didn't write in and tell you stories about our own dogs. I wouldn't honestly entirely be against eventually. Like, I, I, I think I've said this before. Like, right now we do a Broken Silicon every week. We do a Die Shrink every other week. And in between those, there's a Loose Ends usually. So there's like one week really free for bonus content every month. For now, that usually gets filled with either me getting enough sleep one week of a month or there's two videos that week, right? Mm-hmm. Or something like that. 
Um, so I don't know that we have, but if we like hired someone else, I wouldn't mind having like one other bonus podcast for patrons and it could just be about whatever you guys vote on. And I can assure you there would be a dog episode. Oh yeah. And as you can see, probably there is a dog currently sleeping behind me. It let, is the let people, little, let people it's see. The, the little, uh, <laughs> brown mask the second you moved. <laughs> Well, and you know, Wendy will be in the house I'm in right now in like, uh, I guess maybe not a few, a little over a few days. Um, And we'll finally meet this idiot over here for the first time who's now looking at the camera. Oh my God. (laughs) That should be an interesting um, meeting of the two. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and we're going to have to, uh, my girlfriend's cat is just finally starting to get along. There's never really that bad, but they still don't really get each other it's a nice cat uh he listens he if i tell him no he says no he rolls over if he's bad he rolls over for me usually when he sees me and wants me to rub his belly so he's one of those playful like he's a huge cat too, like almost 20 pounds he's he's not that fat he's 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 a big cat (laughs) you know so but the problem is like they've gotten to the stage where like jesse and maurice the cat's name are kind of comfortable around each other. They even walk up multiple times a day and sniff each other. And then Maurice might lick Jesse once. Cause she's like, he's like, you seem nice. And then Jesse's like, Oh my, it's like stepbrothers. Did we just become best friends? And Jesse jumps up and down and starts putting her feet like this to play. Maurice is like, ah, get away from me. <laughs> he's like, yeah, Don't you realize you're triple my size and scare me? So throwing another dog in the mix should be interesting. Although Wendy's typically been pretty good around cats from what I've seen. She's kind of just like, uh, wants to sniff them, but doesn't want to get within like three feet of them. Cause she's, I think vaguely scared of them. Uh, vaguely scared is what they both are of each other. But then the <laughs> second Jesse's not scared, she's like, let's wrestle. And Maurice yeah. is not game for that. What your dog, what Wendy does is probably exactly what the Maurice doctor ordered, actually, and what he would prefer. Company, but don't touch me. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the uh, advantage of a dog that's, once they get slightly older, because Wendy's six now, so she's a little bit past the, uh, she's past her puppy days at this point. But All right, well, let us move on. We did have a correction, which, of course, you support more slides on our Patreon. You can submit corrections to the proper channels in the Discord, to tell us when we're stupid, which is, I think, more often than people tell us. Well, more often than our fans tell us. Definitely not more often than the internet tells everyone every day. Uh, but Technolads writes in and asks, in the latest Broken Silicon, when comparing the Titan uh, to AMD's 7970 gigahertz edition, at the one hour, 29 minute mark, uh, you, and then at the one, oh, for the, for the public version, or in the one hour, 26 minute mark for the Patreon version, you say they both had six gigabytes of RAM. And most sources I find show that the 7970 gigahertz edition only had three gigabytes of RAM. And then he says, edit. So I guess he edited this submission later. I guess I do see two models of VaporX and Toxic that had six gigabytes. And you did mention those models earlier. Right. Like, the, I, I'm not, I didn't go back and listen to it. I'm not sure how I phrased it, but I do know that we mentioned those models at some point. And the entire point is like there was the 7970 that really started as five or six hundred dollars somewhere around there, slowly dropped in price to about four hundred, right? 
And the yeah. 770 gigahertz was usually over 500 with three gigabytes. And there was like a six to $750 six gigabyte toxic edition that ran at, I believe, 20% higher core clocks and possibly more than that. And pretty crazy memory clocks at the time. And it outperformed a standard 7970 by, I think, at least 20%. And you could overclock it to be like a 40%. Point being, it was really only 20% weaker than the Titan at the same amount of RAM. And, you know, it cost like $400 less or something absurd, like about $300 less, you know. I just, I just always think back to that, like how I was like blown away at the time. I like no reviews pointed that out, and they were like, "The Titan's forty percent stronger than a seven nine seventy. That's crazy." And it's like, well, there's the Toxic that is the same amount of RAM, and where's well, this it, in the reviews? Yeah, and that was that that era when you know uh, the AIB like overclocked models. There was sometimes it was just it's a new tier in performance or essentially a new card, whereas here like people split it now are like splitting hairs over the premium and uh like base models of a lot of them and then they get like the exact same performance although albeit the premium models still get better uh thermals but still (laughs) yeah they usually get stupidly better thermals than the reference models not always stupidly better but often stupidly better and then they're way bigger and that's about all you get yeah if we're being honest um, unless you consider paying another $200 for like 35 extra megahertz to be a huge performance increase, which I remember during the mining era, the most recent mining era, that was, it was very funny to me. EVGA had like 10 different versions of the same 3080 and each one was like $50 more for like 10 megahertz. <laughs> and they were like, well, it's a different model. This isn't a gouging, but basically um, a new card. It's basically a new card. That's why it costs twice as much. Uh, that's why this 3070 TI costs a thousand dollars. It has 50 higher megahertz. It should cost more than a 3080. Come on. Um, but right. I think we covered that correction quite enough. And now we should get into story number one, which broke right before we started recording. Uh, Moore's Law Z confirms new Zen 5 details. This week, yours truly set out hunting for the answer to one potentially big question. Can AMD launch an R9 8960X3D next year? Can AMD combine dense and standard Zen chiplets with Vcash on AM5? Well, the answer, at least in my opinion, is yes, and much more. In summary, number one, according to this channel's sources and arguably public information released by AMD and others by now, AMD Ryzen, AMD's Ryzen IO die doesn't just support the standard chiplets, it supports the C chiplets, and according to the people I talked to, there should be no scheduling or whatever issues in handling both of them at the same time. In fact, AMD could not only potentially launch a 24 or 32 core model uh, with Zen 5 next year, but supposedly they could do an 8 plus 16 model of Zen 4 now. However, if the thing you say immediately is, well, then why didn't they? But you think about it, Bergamo launched, I believe, three months ago. That is the first mm-hmm. product with Zen 4C. So they didn't have Zen 4C to launch last year. And the first second they can launch it, Bergamo makes a lot more money. That is why it has not launched with Zen 4. But all of this could change with Zen 5 because Zen 5C actually might launch before Zen 5. It might mm-hmm. actually be ready like January next year, from what I can tell. And so there's no reason there may not be like a couple months of server sales or something. And then they can build up some stock for you know, a Zen 5 plus Zen 5C model. Uh, Additionally, I also 
have schematics of these Zen, which you've seen, Dan, these Zen 5 Turin, like Iodai in design. And I mean, most of it, frankly, confirms what's already been leaked by this channel for the past six months. But there were a couple of things that stood out to me. Number one, there was further confirmation that the memory is going to be faster by default, a lot faster with Zen 5 over Zen 4. Uh, Additionally, there was, like, on the schematic it showed, I've already leaked this, but here is proof, physical proof that I could see. It's 16... Eight core chiplets. So 16 times eight core Zen 5 chiplets for a total of 128 cores. But I think the biggest bombshell I saw in this diagram, which I can't 100% confirm, you know, I'd want to see more before I doubled down on it. But at least on this diagram, Dan, and I have a sister diagram for Zen 4. The mm-hmm. Zen 4 one says Bergamo chiplets can use these like CCD ports, ter- uh, and then Genoa can use these ones. It doesn't say that on Zen 5. For all I know, they could do 16 times 16 cores for <laughs> Turin Dense. But maybe they won't because they don't have the bandwidth to support mm-hmm. that many cores. Or maybe they're worried about thermal or power consumption issues. But I just think that's worth pointing out that there is still a chance, in my opinion, they could be hiding some 256 core. They have been kind oh, of yeah. hiding. Just like they've maybe been hiding that they can launch an 8 Zen 5 X3D plus 16 Zen 5C uh, product next year. And I, and I think this is a really big deal because as far as I'm aware, Arrow Lake, you know, the big core zone of hyper-threading, and while there'll be like 30, I don't know, let's say 25 to 40% better single-threading right than Raptor Lake, well, Zen 5 should be probably 25 to 35% better single threading. So it might be a little behind that. But then you add Vcash and probably catches up in gaming. And then the 16 little cores, that's all Intel is going to have with Arrow Lake uh, next year, I believe. I know there's an 8 plus 32 core model, but I don't think that'll be ready till 2025. So AMD may have a... So think about it then. Intel has maybe just a 24 thread product next year, then a 40 thread product following yeah. up early next year. AMD may have a 48 or 64 thread products out the beginning of next year before Arrow Lake's even out. Meaning, I, I'm not going to double down on any of this. And there's a real chance, there's a real chance AMD never launches this stuff because it just doesn't financially make sense to them. Which we could have that discussion if you want. But if they want to, it sounds like they could probably be pretty close in gaming and crush Arrow Lake in multi-threading from what I can tell. <laughs> I mean, if you think about that. Um, yeah. But yeah, the other thing is... is um. I found more evidence that uh, AMD is launching a Phoenix to desktop late this year or early next year. And yeah, that's about it. So what'd you think, Dan? Yeah, that's the one thing with uh, the like C cores versus normal cores versus V cache cores or CCDs at this point that I'm really curious how they're going to mix and match match them uh, once that's more of an, well, apparently they can do it right now, but like going Mm -hmm. into the future once that's, as all of those mature more what they're going to mix them with because in my mind a v uh, an eight core with v cache plus like a 16 core c uh zen 5c ccd sounds kind of odd because it's now doing both doing a mix of like almost being a pseudo server build a i mean cpu while also being probably the best gaming build uh, uh cpu uh mixed together which, I don't know, maybe there's a market for that, but 
the the things that make the most sense to me still are kind of if they just had two uh, Zen 5C CCDs together uh, and just have a ton of uh, cores that are slightly lower clocked, then that's not necessarily being marketed to gamers. Well, the reason I don't think they do that, I didn't say this in the video, but this is you know why we talk about it in a podcast to more flesh out our thoughts on things. That's two three nanometer CCDs. I don't know that they want to sell that to gamers. Yeah, that's probably expensive for for so, us poor gamers. And you know, this entire time, like, like we've been talking about like the seven nine fifty X three D and how you have. Well, you know, that's probably why they didn't put Vcash on both of them, but also it's so their multi-threading performance can be higher because one of the CCDs without Vcash on the <laughs> 7950X3D can boost 10% higher or so. But, you know, I mean, that also leads to so many scheduling issues. I mean, some apps, even some games, don't benefit as much from Vcash. And so you have this situation where all Windows is really doing with AMD CPUs is it can kind of tell which thread is the most important thread. And it's like looking at all these cores dynamically boosting. They're like, that's the fastest. Send it there, send it there, send it there. That's all it's doing. Yes. There's a lot of annoying things you have to deal with. If you have to schedule for one CCD, that's better at gaming, but one that's worse, but clocks faster. The second you make that second CCD never really go above four gigahertz. It's all gone. Cause the C the CCD with Vcash will probably always be boosting higher. Anyways, uh, th- that's why I think it makes sense just because of how smoothly it would all run together. No, yeah, that's you know? true. I, I mean, I guess we're going to see the normal cores paired with Zen 4C, I mean, Zen C uh, uh, cores as well. So, eh, I, I mean, I, I guess I don't know why there's, they would never attempt to pair it with uh, Vcash as well. It's just an, yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I could just see that being a way that they just have way fewer scheduling issues than what they do right now with the current <laughs> Vcash models because yeah, that is the biggest problem you have with like the 7950X3D these days. And I don't know, then just having twice as many quote-unquote background threads would be pretty ideal, even if they clock, what, way lower. <laughs> well, yeah, and, you know, the hypothetical, there it is, the hypothetical... um lineup that i came up with that i think would be a problem for intel omitted the 32 core zen 5c not because they can't do it but because i'm just like i don't know why they would sell that to gamers you know <laughs> like what is yeah, it that's cost almost a like thousand dollars that's yeah that's like almost a threadripper killer in some ways i feel like yeah and you almost don't want to do that for segmentation with threadripper which i believe launches end of this year early next year as well but like i, I don't think actually they need to use that much c to flesh out this lineup like i could totally see uh speaking of c i could totally see early next year the launch topping out at like 20 cores like 8 zen 5 plus 12 zen 5c just getting rid of the bad yields even because i don't even think mm-hmm. they need more than that and then they have their 8 x go up to like 20 cores and then i think you still just keep the 12 core with and then you're done you don't only one chip with the C cores in the lineup and it's only one with a disabled thing. Like, I think that's what I would do if I was AMD and then just wait. And then late next year, if Arrow Lake's a threat, maybe they'll decide it isn't. Maybe they'll just do an 8800 X3D and call today. But if there is a threat, that's when you launch the full 24 core and give it Vcash because it just ends the argument. Like, I'm only talking about a lineup, even though it has like six or seven SKUs. 
that has one model with a fully enabled <laughs> Zen 5C chip and then one with a disabled one so that you're not competing with uh, Bergamo next as much. You know, it's like, I just think that's also worth pointing out. Like, this flexibility really would only be there for a prestige. I don't even think they'd have to launch half of the things they could right away. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's just all of a matter of the the thing that AMD can kind of have an issue with with all of these different variants that they can put out at this point is uh, they don't want to release models that are cannibalizing each other, which is I think even in this current lineup is kind of doing to it to a small extent because the seventy eight hundred X three D is just such a good buy for most people that it kind of makes the rest of their lineup look bad. <laughs> But, well, I fully um, agree. There's no point in the 7900X3D, in my opinion. And if, you, and if you'll notice in the video I put out, I don't mention any 12-core <laughs> X3D because I think that's stupid. <laughs> you have the flagship and the gaming chip. I do not see why you need more than that. And I don't know why AMD did more than that this generation. But yeah, I mean, if they just put like one, five, one like Zen 5C course, one Zen 5C CCD, CCD at the top of their zen 5 consumer uh or desktop lineup or, or two eh, yeah that could be there and i don't think that would cannibalize anything and that might make like the 7960 x3d be an even 8960 x3 yeah sorry the 8960 x3d take the i gaming. made up the name anyway so you're forgiven yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> that might make it take the gaming crown over like the 8800 x3d uh which presumably uh if Zen 5 is similar to Zen 4. The 8800X3D would be have the gaming crown uh, again if they release basically the same models again with the new updated architecture. You know, let me throw this idea at you too. Obviously, we're recording too soon to get reader mails about this uh, like leak slash analysis video, um, mm-hmm. you know, in time for the podcast. But I did see responses in the Discord, and a few people said, I hate that name. Really? Isn't that just the naming scheme they're using already, Dan? And how could this be worse than, you know, names like uh, Ultra 9 Meteor Lake or the insane word salad that the pro Threadripper naming has become? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think that's bad. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what else you would call it, honestly. Right. And I just, the R98960X3D, I'm just, that 60 is what they use for 24 cores in the past. Yeah. But... I do, if we're splitting hairs, and I guess we are now, I do think if they had a 32-core, because none of them are normal Zen 5, they would call that WX to denote, hey, none of these boost fast enough. Just my two cents. Oh, yeah. Because I think it's fair to call it an 8960 if one of the CCDs is boosting past 5 gigahertz. But if none none of them are, I don't think that's fair. I think you have to put WX, don't you? Probably. I mean... Unless they just say we don't care about our old naming conventions, which happens fairly often. We'll get to that later in this episode. But for now, QH Freddy writes in an ass, Intel appears to be going really hard on maximizing single-threaded performance on their big cores with Arrow Lake and later architectures that follow it. Do you think they are going too far in that direction? My answer that I wrote ahead of time is we just won't know until we have Arrow Lake versus Zen 5 reviews. Yeah, I, I mean, we're really worried about now about losing hyper-threading. Maybe it won't matter that much. You never know. Right, because 
Well, and I think a lot of that hinges on how good the E cores are. Like, yeah, if you if you think about how AMD's pulled off keeping up with Raptor Lake, Raptor Lake now is twenty four cores, but the little cores suck compared to AMD's cores. And in fact, I didn't cover this in the video, but AMD's presentation at Hot Chips for Zen Four talked about how I forgot what the number was, but they said it was something like performance uplift and multi-threading with Zen 3 to Zen 4 went from when you turn on hyper-threading, it's like a 25% performance increase to now it's like 30 or 35 or 40%. Mm. Like their hyper-threading is crazy optimized now. And so, I, I mean, I think it just, you know, will the little cores in Arrow Lake be so good that we don't care? Or is it going to be a situation where, you know, a- a- AMD just increases performance per core <laughs> even if they just had 16 cores by the way by like 35 percent and oh, that's enough to match air lakes air, <laughs> you know multi-threading yeah. you know additionally though i do have to add this as well even if arrow lake ends up like beating zen 5 let's say by 10 percent in gaming but loses by 10 to 20 percent in multi-threading and, and maybe it costs more and it's overall considered less impressive maybe because it's less efficient i don't know well, what if Nova Lake like double single threading or something, <laughs> you know, then it would kind of be like a Zen one situation where it's like, yeah, if there was if Zen one went another direction, because Zen one kind of used CCXs when it didn't need to on consumer, like mm-hmm. besides sharing chiplets with Epic, of course, but they used two CCXs in a CCD early because they were building towards Zen two and that paid off. So if I'm being honest, QH Freddy, I don't actually know if I'll think this is a mistake until we see Nova Lake, which is like 2026 or 2027, because it's not just about if they're competitive now, it's about if they're building towards an architecture that crushes everything in a few years, right? Yeah, because that's ultimately the problem that, that Intel has had is they got stuck on an architecture that crushed for a few generations and then fell behind. So, <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. So we don't know. We won't know until Nova Lake which way it's going. Um, DeadEyes117 writes in and says, Hi, Tom and Dan. My understanding is that Zen 4C is effectively identical to Zen 4, except that it more or less trades thermal management and L3 cache for significantly reduced size. Please correct me if I'm wrong. If that's the case, how much ground do you think Zen 4C could make up on proper Zen 4 if it had 3D vCache, but Zen 4 did not? Then also, how that compared to a full Zen 4 vCache? In one case, ostensibly, the only difference would be clock speed, right? And in other words, it would be clocked plus additional L3 cache. Obviously, we would still have reduced clock speeds as a result of thermal density, but this could be a way of making their super energy-efficient CPUs for mobile. P.S. I really appreciate the way this channel allows my nerd brain to wander. Um, Well, you know, I I think I could... What I wrote down before we started recording was this. If the Zen... 4C and consumer in server. I don't know. I'm not going to get into that because it's a whole other can of worms. But in consumer, is it giving you 16 cores now? Well, well, with Zen 4, we're not talking about Zen 5, which might have a unified 16 core CCX from what I hear, which who knows then? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All bets are off on how good that could perform in games, actually. But Zen 4C has two eight core CCXs. So there's a little bit of a latency penalty there. Not the same as two chiplets, but it's there. And so that's going to hurt gaming a little. You're not going to get that benefit of being able to use more cores in a game on one CCD. All right, so the only benefit then is we're saying vCache at 4 gigahertz versus no vCache. The core count difference isn't going to help games. Right, but one's running at like 5.7 gigahertz. So even with vCache, it's like 30% slower. No, I, I think that answers your question why they're not doing that. 
Yeah, I, I mean, and I guess I don't know. Would the addition of Vcash further limit block speeds on the C cores as well, or no? I don't think so, because I think they're no, already okay. tweaked to run at a lower voltage, which is the whole issue. It's not like yeah, a thermal okay. issue. It's just a max voltage issue, and I don't think that would be present. I don't know for sure, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. So you would probably end up just getting something that's maybe in between normal and C cores as far as gaming efficiency goes. But you'd get more cores on one CCD, I guess. Yeah. That don't don't benefit gaming, but benefit background tasks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, The only other thing I would throw at that as a consideration here is one of the main reasons Zen 4C has the same IPC as Zen 4 is it doesn't try to clock faster. More cache helps scale with fast to or keep performance per clock at higher clocks, right? A lot of people were surprised that Raptor Lake had like a zero to one percent IPC increase over Alder Lake, right? But all that extra cache was so they wouldn't lose performance per clock past six gigahertz. Mm-hmm. So I almost wonder if there's a thing where it's like, what well, really low clock speeds, how much would it benefit from cache in some games a lot? But I wouldn't be surprised if there were some outliers that appeared where it's like, we unless we don't need the extra cache unless you're at five gigahertz yeah so i don't know more food for thought there um but it all kind of points to why they don't think it's worth it um raisin biscuit writes in and he asks hi tom and dan with 14th gen around the corner will intel do what they did for 13th gen regarding having the lower tiers be previous gen silicon i.e where everything below the 13600k was based off of alder lake could we see alder lake silicon still under the 14th gen moniker, could some of the lower tiers be Raptor Lake, non-refresh silicon in the 14th gen lineup? I don't know how accurate these specs from WCCF tech are. Links in the description. But just looking at the cache, it seems that the 14600 and 14500 at least might have been promoted from Alder Lake to some form of Raptor Lake compared to the 13600 and 13500. However, the 14400 below looks likely to remain with Alder Lake silicon. Um, yeah, I actually threw this question at someone who works at Intel and I was told the eight plus 16, the eight plus eight and the six plus eight dies are all Raptor Lake refresh, which is big. That means there's way more SKUs that will be not just Raptor Lake instead of Alder Lake, but Raptor Lake 2.0 instead of Alder Lake. (laughs) So that means a couple of things though. Keep in mind what I said, six plus eight and up technically right now. Below the 13600K, it's all of Alder Lake. Yeah. That's six plus eight. <laughs> so I would suggest there's still going to be some Alder Lake and probably Raptor Lake 1.0 rebrands there. But also, they have to do something with the bad yields of that i5. So I would suggest what we're going to see is everything i5K and up is the newest generation. And a couple of the ones below the i5 are also the newest. And then but, everything below that's whatever they got left. <laughs> so you so might. Yeah, so the answer is I, yes, but I'd I'd still expect some Alder Lake refreshes. You might still see some i three Alder Lakes, basically. Yeah, which I to my memory they never even released that Raptor Lake i three die the four plus zero, um, and I don't know if they will now too. I, my guess is what they'd more likely do is launch like a six plus zero i three mm-hmm. or or I'd, a four plus. Or I don't know what they would do. You know, something <laughs> yeah. like that as the I3. And most of the I3s will still be Alder Lake. Because to my understanding, they still have a ton of that oversupply. Um, Frog on a unicycle vaping writes in. Okay. Dang. 
And he asks, hey, Tom and Dan, do you have any information on Zen 4 Threadripper's release date or performance specs? It's Genoa Clockmaster. There's your specs and performance. <laughs> um, but in terms, like, do I know, like, I mean, it can probably clock as fast as they wanted to, but maybe slightly below. I think no, if they really wanted to, it could clock just as fast as uh, 7950X, maybe mm-hmm. even a little faster. It's just up to if they actually use those yields for Threadripper versus holding them for Epic and then clocking them lower for better power consumption. Um, but otherwise, I have nothing to change about what I've leaked, I believe, for a year straight. Late 2023 or first half of next year. Um, And we're already, by the time this comes out, like a day away from September. So I think I'm holding to that. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to say a a last-minute Q3 launch? No, uh, I do not think so. (laughs) I I could see a November-December Threadripper launch, but I think they got to make that decision like one or two months before when they launch. So they have to decide next month we're launching this year. Mm -hmm. And I think they should if Zen 5 is going to be ready first half of next year. They should. Um, uh, Because that'll be a little weird if they're launching these Zen 5 products we're talking about next to Threadripper Zen 4. All righty. Well, completely shifting gears here then to story number two. Ever get exhausted looking for a safe way to pay reasonable pricing for Microsoft software amongst tons of questionable listings on eBay and shady websites? Well, now you don't have to do this any longer. Not if you go to cdkeyoffer.com. This piece of content is brought to you by cdkeyoffer.com and their back-to-school sale. Whether it's Microsoft operating systems, office products, or even many of the latest AAA games, cdkeyoffer.com provides PC gamers with a product that I honestly think this community does need in a world where far too many of our components that make up our PCs are getting more expensive every year. The last thing we need is monopolistically priced software to remain on that list of stupid stuff we pay too much for. And you know, the Moore's Laws Dead team has been working with cdkeyoffer.com for many years for a reason. They've been good to me. They've been good to Dan. They've been good to family members that use their website when they build a PC. And they've been good to the Moore's Law is Dead community as well. So whether you're looking for Steam, EA, Uplay, or PlayStation keys, or of course Microsoft products, Support Moore's Law is Dead by using the code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products or DieShrink for 3% off everything else. Support us at cdkeyoffer.com today. NVIDIA stock closes at record high after Google AI partnership and impressive quarter two earnings. Quoting from a combination of paragraphs from both a CNBC and a CNN article that will be linked below. NVIDIA shares rose 4.2% Tuesday to close at a record $1.2 trillion market cap after the chipmaker announced a partnership with Google that could expand distribution of its artificial intelligence technology. The record close comes less than a week after the company said quarterly revenue doubled from a year earlier, giving a forecast indicating that sales this period could rise 170% on an annual basis. The day after the better-than-expected earnings report, the stock climbed to a record intraday high of $503 before retreating in the afternoon. A new computing era has begun. Companies worldwide are transitioning from general purpose to accelerated computing and generative AI, says NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wang and that the company is working with leading enterprise IT systems and software providers to bring NVIDIA AI to every industry. So yeah, on top, uh, NVIDIA seems on top of the world right now in terms of market cap and sales overall, but this writer would point out uh, 
which I did say in a video, I believe, last week, that they are still struggling to maintain MSRPs with Lovelace gaming products without basically uh, halting production. And even then, they seem to have trouble. And that, in fact, the 4060 Ti will get a de facto price drop. That's not a official price drop, but they will lower what they charge partners, and therefore you'll see 4060 Ti's likely drip below MSRP in about a week now to head off AMD's upcoming Navi 32 products. So I just think that's worth being remembered. People see this and say NVIDIA doesn't care. No, these are different markets. If their gaming products don't sell, they have to drop in price. But it does mean that their priorities next gen definitely may change, although... All of their eggs are definitely in one basket right now. Um, all right, Dan, what did you think about all this NVIDIA earnings news? I mean, there they go. <laughs> like you said, it, it, it's they have to drop prices. I mean, it, because they need their they need to sell their supply of everything that they have in the market of everything that they're putting on the market. Although obviously, AI is where they're making the big bucks right now, and. <laughs> Uh, I, I think we just need to accept that as as gamers that like yeah this is def- definitely the secondary market for Nvidia uh, this day and age, and, and and it wasn't just a few years ago you know or like certainly not ten years well, ago it was yeah that's that's why we always talk about ha- the uh, AI bubble because this is inevitably going to be a bubble when a industry takes off like this over the course of like three four years. Uh, and then everybody in Silicon Valley wants to get in on it. Um, I mean, I think a- NVIDIA is clearly going to be the big winner in that at this point because in the uh, short term, yeah, they're they're the people making all of the things for the uh, all of those startups that are going to. We'll see where they're at in a few years, but uh, NVIDIA knows how to capitalize off of it because they're the best at making the hardware for it. So, yep, now they're one of the what like what five or six biggest companies in the world. Yeah, at least by market cap. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how much else I really have to say about it, you know, because I think the, uh, you know, if there's the hierarchies of brains, uh, the 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 pinhead brain take is just, NVIDIA never going to care about gamers. Prices keep going up. And, you know, NVIDIA to be worth a bit, uh, well, I shouldn't say bazillion, it should be worth trillions and trillions forever. And both of these things might not be true. Just because NVIDIA now sees gaming as a secondary market, at least in the short term, that still means overstock is overstock. If they have a bunch of shit sitting there nobody's buying, even if they mostly care about AI, all that means is they're not going to be more aggressive to drop prices in some departments and make more stuff. They'll make less stuff, but if it's not selling you're still going to see prices drop. And that still means NVIDIA is going to need to respond somehow. And I would still suspect they may respond more aggressively than you'd think with some products next generation. However, it's, you know, it's not really about will they price things competitively next gen. If this gen is a failure in gaming sales, they'll probably be more aggressive. However, they, they, they might not spend as much money on the top chip, right? That's the galaxy yeah. brain is it is more complicated than just NVIDIA doesn't care anymore. Of course, they still care. They just don't, you know, it's just how they care and what they will do is different now. Yeah, I mean, it's just they're going to probably make fewer, which I don't think they're really making any risky products right now in this day and age. But yeah, they're, they're not going to make as many products that uh, run the risk of not making a profit, which is what you see right now anyways, where like 
I don't know. I don't think they're going to be going hmm. super far in on the low end market either. <laughs> I don't think we're going to see any gaming loss leaders, even if they drop prices. <laughs> yeah. So what you might see, and you know, we've talked about that as before is, yeah, we might just see a couple years of mid-gen, which I'm fine. Honest, I mean, not mid-gen, mid-tier, which is honestly fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as long as they are good for mid-tier, I, I agree. All right. Let us now continue the NVIDIA AI-generated train running with no hands in the picture because then the, the hands would look screwed up if it was created by AI. With story number three, NVIDIA DLSS 3.5, enhancing ray tracing with AI. I'm just quoting from NVIDIA's press release here. Today, NVIDIA advanced rendering technology once more with the introduction of NVIDIA DLSS 3.5, featuring ray reconstruction, a new AI model that creates higher quality ray traced images for intensive ray traced games and apps. NVIDIA's newest innovation, ray reconstruction, is part of an enhanced AI-powered neural render that improves ray traced image quality for all RTX GPUs by replacing hand-tuned denoisers with an NVIDIA supercomputer-trained AI network that generates higher-quality pixels in between sample rays. This was trained with five times more data than DLSS 3. DLSS 3.5 recognizes the different ray-traced effects to make smarter decisions about using temporal and spatial data to retain high-frequency transformation for superior quality upscaling. Trained using offline rendered images, which requires far more computational power than can be delivered during a real-time game, ray reconstruction recognizes lighting patterns from training data, such as the global illumination, ambient occlusion, and recreates it in-game as you play. The results are superior to hand-tuned denoisers. What this means is that multiple ray trace effects that may have been using several denoisers will now be replaced by one reconstruction neural network denoiser. And in these cases, you can actually get a performance boost despite the better image quality. However, in titles with less intensive ray tracing and fewer denoisers, AMD titles, ray reconstruction improves image quality, though it may actually have a slight performance cost because it is actually doing more, right? And Alan Wake 2, Cyberpunk, Phantom Liberty, Portal, RTX, and then Omniverse and a bunch of professional apps will be supporting it this fall. So, I mean, I you know this kind of just dropped kind of suddenly, but not that unsurprisingly, considering it was like, what, a few days before AMD or a week before AMD announced uh, FSR 3.0. So I think there's a reason it was announced yeah. before really any game supported it. Uh, but it does look impressive. What do you think about it, Dan? I mean, it looks impressive. Uh, I obviously, in their like m promotional material, they were comparing it with, with DLSS off to DLSS 3.5 on, which I would love to see the comparisons to their older, more comparisons to their older technology and with it just straight up off. But eh, yeah, the visual quality is obviously there to me, and that's super impressive. And I think that's like the big problem that. Um, amd has versus nvidia is amd announces all this stuff and they're like and it's going to be coming out between fall next this year and quarter one next year and then they just put this out there as a way to deflate the sales of fsr's announcement and it's like and this is all coming out in a few months or, or a couple months and mm -hmm. here are a list of games that are going to have it one of them is Alan Wake, which is a new game and a new expansion pack, which I don't know, I think kind of is a more impressive implementation of it than Forspoken, the 
the Forspoken AMD's benchmark game, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it is. Well, I think, you know, FSR two, uh, 3 is going to actually be in a lot of games soon, but um, by the time it actually is in a lot of um it, there's plenty of evidence NVIDIA will have a far superior technology once again right next to it. Yeah. Which, I mean, let, we're, we're already talking about it, I think. So let us just jump right in to story number four. AMD announces FSR 3. And I'm just quoting from their website. FSR 3 uses a combination of super resolution temporal upscaling technology frame generation to deliver massive frame rates and supported games. The key enhancement with AMD FSR 3 over FSR 2 is the addition of frame generation. In the notes, I underlined key in key technology <laughs> because as far as I can tell, there's not much of an image and quality increase with FSR 3 at all, if there is one. Uh, this technology uses an enhanced version of AMD Fluid Motion Frames, which I actually had for a while now, and optical flow technology and temporal game data, such as motion vectors, to generate additional high-quality frames for a higher frame rate in supported games to two, two times, or two or by two times. The additional performance from frame generation can be extremely beneficial in demanding situations, such as gaming at 4K with maximum ray tracing, where you still want some smoothness, or in frame rates are heavily CPU limited, and you wouldn't be getting any extra frames no matter what because of your CPU. At least this could show some extra ones. One important point to note, though, when using frame generations, AMD recommends always running at a minimum of 60 frames per second before frame generation is applied for an optimal and low latency experience. Depending on the graphics hardware being used and overall system specifications, they suggest adjusting game graphics resolution and quality down to make sure you achieve that before turning it on. During development, AMD was fully conscious of the challenges involved so that frame generation did not have an impact on in-game UI. AMD has addressed this in FSR 3 with UI processing included as an integral part of the solution to minimize any impact frame generation may have on in-game interfaces. I don't have a link in the description, but Digital Foundry seemed to say indicate this actually may beat DLSS 3's UI handling. Which, yeah, but, that was a, a major problem with DLSS 3. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and they've improved it since it came UI out, systems. but it's it's still a, a pretty huge issue, I think, in some game that just came out. Um, AMD FSR 3 also includes the latest version of temporal upscaling technology using FSR 2, which has been fully optimized. Okay, so are they not improving it? Uh, and a new native AA quality mode, which we go into more later in the blog that I might not. And... Yeah, and then they go into, you know, uh, includes latency reductions. They do, as you say, mention Forspoken. And then they mention that early 2024, uh, they should have an in-driver solution that can force a lower quality version of Fluid Frames into any DirectX 11 or 12 game as well. So, yeah, I guess you were just giving your opinion kind of already, so I'll just give mine. I, the big surprise for me is maybe FSR 3's fluid frames look as good as the interpolated frames of DLSS 3. That would be interesting if they actually were as good or beat them at that. Um, and also the in-driver solution needs to be out like today because that, if it works even half well, I think is a major selling point. After that, though, big disappointments for me in them seemingly announcing no image quality increase or minimal increases. Yeah, that's a big disappointment. The in-driver stuff is, assuming it works well, is cool. Uh, because if if they can just implement a decent version of Fluid Frames into any game, that, well, basically any game, because everything's using DX11-12 at this point, uh, if they can just implement that into anything, I mean, eh, 
even if it's slightly lower image quality than uh, frame generation from NVIDIA, that makes it a pretty big competitor against them. And, you know, there's not many, or I think there's only one sample they actually have of showing uh, their frame generation in act- action right now with uh, Forspoken. They have like a 40-second clip or something. The image quality doesn't look like it's any worse to me than uh, what you got from uh, DLSS3. So obviously you need a lot more samples of that to see if that they were just showing a really good section of the game that didn't show a huge uh, loss mm. in quality. But uh, that's promising, and that's honestly a, <laughs> that's better than what I was expecting from their frame generation, and I think just kind of speaks to uh, m- maybe the like AI-based hardware-accelerated approach that NVIDIA claims is necessary for the technology really isn't. <laughs> but, right. But it is helping them have better image quality still. Yes. It would be, yeah, it'd be interesting to see that because I talked to someone at NVIDIA that insisted to me that, well, you could probably get interpolated frames working on Ampere and Turing that their lack of a flow accelerator that Lovelace has would still make it perform substantially worse. But I don't know if FSR3 looks as good. Eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Do we have any other thoughts on it, though? I don't... Because we don't have reviews yet, so I don't know how much we can really say, but I don't know that I have that much more to say. Um, if it turns out they were cooking the books and how they presented it, and it looks way worse than DLSS 3's interpolated frames. Image quality hasn't increased at all, and there's, you know, in the in driver version looks like complete ass next year, then I, we'll call it a failure, but I, we, we don't know until we have third-party reviews. Yeah, and the last thing I have, I guess I'd have to say about it is hopefully they get all of the stuff out sooner rather than later, because I think that's AMD's big problem is they always take forever to get their software solutions actually implemented like we're going to be almost halfway we're probably going to be over halfway to rdna4 by the time all the stuff that they announced at their uh, rdna3 launch came out uh yeah because like this was the true announcements of hyper rx they announced hyper rx at the beginning or not even beginning at in december of last year and then they just said nothing about it until now and they're like it'll be out soon yeah and that's and it needs to be in a lot more games than what they're currently showing off because I don't know, in my mind, the games that they were showing off that it had uh, actual integrated support for were kind of B tier games. And mm. eh. to be fair, it's a, I mean, it's cyberpunk isn't B tier, but it's an older game, you know? Oh yeah. It, I forgot cyberpunk is going to get it. So that that's, but well, it, and, and for still, DLSS 3.5, I, my, my overall opinion is when it, w- w- whether it's DLSS 3.5 or FSR 3, I haven't seen a whole lot of evidence every game's going to have either Yeah, uh, <laughs> for the time being is actually my takeaway. Yeah, that's true. I, I do think NVIDIA, since, since um, AMD has lit somewhat of a fire under their ass by just putting out FSR, I think NVIDIA has done a bit better of a job of pushing dlss than fsr though it's certainly relative to what we expected right yeah. i don't think me and you well i'm sure it's on record in some podcast that we said this like i i'm pretty sure we both said you know fsr will get wider support eventually or or, or it should and dlss man and video will just pay for it to be in every game yep <laughs> so no. yeah i mean I, i'm trying to think if there's anything else i really have to say about it um 
You know, I, I I guess we'll see with third-party reviews, but King Harkinian writes in and asks, Advanced Micro Devices, Fidelity FX Super Resolution 3.0 with fluid motion frames. Has technology gone too far? Have we run out of words? Uh, I think we can add a few more in there. <laughs> you know, speaking of adding words, I, there's just something about the way these companies write their press releases that really annoys the hell out of me. Um, like the amount of times they just say they have to say the whole name every time in a paragraph to the point that it becomes absurd. Um, like we'll get to it in the next story, but like I I did, I do usually modify when I'm quoting from these articles slightly for prose. Like they're just, they're just like the RX the Radeon RX 7,800 XT graphics card is. And every time they say the name, they have to say, the AMD Radeon RX 7800 XT graphics card. Well, AMD made the mistake of uh, deciding to name their CPU and GPU lines almost the same thing, which I don't know if somebody thought that would be cute. Oh, maybe that is it's what it is. It's just confusing. <laughs> yeah. Fatboy Diesel writes in and says, given RDNA 3 has been out for nine months, what are your thoughts on the U architecture uh, given that it has had nine months of driver updates. Is RDNA 3 really in need of fixing at a hardware level, or has it been softer all along? Personally, I feel like this was an ambitious design that achieved the goal of working without major issues or hardware bugs. If anyone remembers some previous generations, we're getting a slow but steady trickle of updates, optimizing RDNA 3's performance, and it seems like the typical scenario where AMD puts out hardware that needs better software support and slowly increases performance due to its limited resources at RTG. I'd say it's typical not oversized there's been some games i think like forza horizon 5 or something got like some doubling of frame rates or something absurd um but on average you know it's pretty much where it has been relative to the 4090 maybe it's gained two percent i don't know on average but uh we haven't seen a major overhaul and um do i think if when it comes to hardware the hardware works and we're talking about again if we're comparing if we're comparing Navi 31, 7900 XTX to the 4090, the 4090 has 20% more silicon, all of it's on an N4 node. AMD is only like two-thirds of it, or a little under two-third, is on 5 nanometer. So from that perspective, it's a miracle. It's only 20% behind. Although, Grant, I don't want to get into which one's the full die, because I could actually argue neither are. But, <laughs> you know, like... From that perspective, I wouldn't say the hardware is a failure, but it's definitely not performing as well as they want. And I don't think it's software all along yet. I don't. I think software has been updated at a steady pace, but no, I, I think that the hardware is underperforming. Well, yeah, the hardware is clearly underperforming. From what they wanted, not objectively from where it should be. I mean, and from just what it's priced at, I think you're generally getting what you're paying for from RDNA 3. So from that perspective, no, it's not really a hardware failure. Is it less impressive than it could have been? I suppose. Um, but I don't think we're ever going to see like a like a situation where you saw from like G- the original GCN, where GCN eventually basically caught up to its competitors, where I don't think the 7900 XTX is going to compete with the 4090 <laughs> in performance. Mm-hmm. Although... No. Crossing my fingers because I do have one. <laughs> right. That you got for half the price of a 4090, to be fair. So you won't be complaining if it doesn't. Um, well, 
we're already getting on the subject, so let us move on then with story number five. RX 7800 XT and RX 7700 XT announced. Quoting again from AMD, built on the groundbreaking AMD RDNA 3 trademarked 3 architecture, the new graphics cards provide cutting-edge hardware and software features designed to deliver fully immersive 1440p gameplay at 60-plus frames per second and significantly better performance per dollar compared to the competition across select titles. The 7800 XT and 7700 XT graphics cards feature 16 gigabytes and 12 gigabytes of RAM, respectively, of GDR6 memory, and up to 50% higher memory bandwidth in the competition for high-resolution gaming. They also support advanced features that take advantage performance uh, that take performance and visual fidelity to the next level. This is AMD's writing, <laughs> including all new AMD HyperRx technology. It's not out yet, though. I don't think AMD at some point. At, at some point, trademarked. Uh, the RX 7800 XT has a 499 MSRP and features 60 compute units, and the 7700 XT will be listed for $449 US and include 54 compute units. They have a 263 and 245 watt TDPs, respectively, and launch on September 6th. Now, we already did a die shrink where we talked about them pretty in depth. You know, subscribe to the Moore's Laws at Patreon for just $2 a month. You'll get these bonus episode so we recorded that right after the show so we got a lot of our gut reactions which i think was name for 7800 xt stupid name for 7700 xt fair i mean it has like what is that 25 percent more compute units than last gen and it's better per compute unit and it's actually a lower msrp than the 6700 xt so that one on paper is fine but the 7800 xt naming is ridiculous it should be called the 7800 and the way they price them relative to each other, we believe, is weird. Even if you remove the 7800 XT and you're like, 7700 XT pricing's fair, right, but why is it priced that way relative to the other? Why not make it like, I, I thought even like four, 439 and 509. Like make it like about 20% apart. People will pay $510 for a 7800 XT. They, they will, AMD. It's that good for the price why not i i don't understand but uh, it, anything to add on to what i just said or any thoughts now that like uh i think it's been a week since these have been announced or something i mean yeah my thoughts are largely the same it's just why i, I think the 7800 xt at 500 dollars compared to all the other stuff on the market right now looks great i think it probably lowers price performance or, or yeah, I, I, it improves price performance to a degree uh, than what's even on av- available to the market right now. The 7700 XT, it in isolation, not looking at the 7800 XT, I think is fairly well, like, fairly priced against like the 4060 Ti, uh, where it seems like you're going to be getting slightly b- better performance a bit more RAM than the eight gigabyte model, a bit less RAM than the 16 gigabyte model. And they're just putting it smack dab in the middle of those two. So I think there's a strong argument that 450 is fair, even though, and I think it would look a little bit better against them at like 430. And, but it's just when you put them together, it's like, well, it feels like you're just trying to make the 7800 XT sell and you don't want anybody to buy the 7700 XT. Because if you're building a new system with one of these in it, presumably you're spending at least, what, $1,200, $1,300 on your system, I, I would spe- expect. Why wouldn't you just pay the extra 50 bucks to go from 4060 Ti performance to 4070 
performance. <laughs> or better than 4060 Ti. It should still be like 10 to 20% better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, I, it's like, just, I'm trying to think of a good way to put it to go from like 3070 Ti performance or something, you know, to 3080 performance. Why would you not pay $50? <laughs> yeah. It, it's just, really weirdly priced and then you also get uh 30 more ram on top of that i i just don't get what they were thinking about only having there be 50 dollars between them but other than that 7800 xt looks great <laughs> well yeah and i mean one thing just to add a wrinkle here is in the video i put out last week about this a leak i had in there is at least as far as i could tell and i'm not sure what the exact breakup is it could be something like 30% of them are 7,700 XTs, but that's still not enough to like just try to get you to buy the 7,800 XT, right? Like it would have to be like a 10th of the supply is that. And that is, I'm told that's not the case. It's, it's a notable amount, maybe 50%, maybe 40 or 30, but it's a notable amount of the supply. It's not priced like they don't have any of them. So I don't know. I really don't know. Cause that's what, what my overall point would be like with why the pricing is weird. If you have 50-50, even if you have 70-30%, 70 70-800 XT, why not, you can charge probably $20 more or something for the (laughs) 7-800 XT and then charge $10 less for the other. They'll both sell. So I I don't, like, just do it. Like, either way, the overall profit average will be the same. It just looks less, it's just less bizarre. And the only thing I can think of is, I don't know, that they they just hope the 7800 XT sells out, then this keeps selling, and over time they shift supply to the other one. Because long term, I can't I can't imagine they have a ton of bad yields either for a 200 millimeter squared yeah. by nanometer die. So it, it's just weird overall. I don't know if, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why AMD does a lot of the things they do, though, so... Uh, the, yeah, the only other big brain move I could imagine is if they're trying to like clear out the remaining like four hundred thirty dollars stock of like sixty eight hundreds or something. That is what but, it probably is. I was told they still have quite a lot of Navi twenty two sitting around. So, yep, I I think you answered it. That if they made it four hundred or something, they're worried it would be bumping too close to those. Yeah, and so I that's guess probably that's probably what it is. The other possibility. <laughs> It's tough shit, AMD. Like, I mean, god dang it, you know. And again, I've leaked that the 4060 Ti 16-gigabyte model is probably going to have some SKUs showing up around 450. I think that's, whether it's fair or not, going to push it down to like 420, 430 anyway, so I I don't know. Um, Mark writes in, and he's, oh, hi, Mark. And he says, I like the 7800 XT. It's pretty close to the sweet spot established by the 5700 XT years ago. And versus the 4090, the 7800 XT is nearly two-thirds the raw performance. My lower estimate is 50. Well, two-thirds. No, it's like half the performance, my dude. Um, because the, yeah, because the, the, the 4090 is in some games double the performance of a 3090, which is a little better than a 6800 XT. So I think this is close to double the, you know, half the performance Mm -hmm. of a 4090. But anyways, while handily beating all surrounding NVIDIA offerings at $500, and at least, you know, then it's a third the price of the 4090 or less than that. uh, This is essentially what the 5700 XT did versus Turing in the 1080 Ti years ago, and I'm glad to see it. No, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles yet. 
But it, yes, it uses a bit more power than the 4060 Ti, but I think it's worth buying. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people say they think this is going to be a seller. And like, not just in the comments, but retailers are like, dude, this is what the 4070 should have been. If you think of what this is compared to the $500 3070, which sold like hotcakes, this thing doubles the RAM and is like 30 to 40% higher performance for the same price a few years later. This is what people want out of a Jennifer Gen performance increase at the same price point. In fact, it even comes with Starfield. So I, again, I, I've seen an outpouring of like not just comments, but analysts and retailers think this is going to sell very well. I, I would be surprised if the 7800 XT doesn't sell well. Like mm-hmm. this is, this feels like on a, the first good co- or well-priced card to come out in like a year. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Beefish writes in and he says, "Hi Tom and Dan. Any update on Navi 31 or 32 in laptops? Video cards put out some leak that the 7900 GRE die could go to laptop. Well, I doubt AMD would love places to sell more. Would love places to sell more products. Your previous leaks." stated that no AM seemed interested in high-end mobile laptop AMD cards. And so do you think they're ever going to do this? So I don't know which video card coverage you're talking about, but I know recently they've referenced my leak of that Navi 3132 hybrid die. Um, and But I also know that they've referenced random anime pictures or whatever on Twitter that have basically said what I said months ago, and I guess that also gets an article. So I don't know who's quoting what here, but... Um, my overall opinion on Navi 31 or the 3132 hybrid coming to laptop is, you know, it's small enough and even Vega 56 got a laptop release. Look it up, everybody. There were laptops with Vega 56. <laughs> so eventually, I'd be surprised if someone, anyone, Corsair, Asus, the Chinese company, Xiaomi, didn't have some 7900M eventually. But I just heavily doubt you're going to be like, and here's the Dell, HP, and Lenovo offerings yeah. all at the same time. But again, right, you think like someone probably will, but just because it's designed and able to do it doesn't mean it's going to get widespread adoption. And no OEM I've talked to is talking about launching it right now. So I'd be surprised if it happened in a, a bunch of them. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, I guess for me, I don't know how much those OEM laptops would be priced at anyways laptops seem to be out of whack anyways at at this point and i don't know how much a five thousand dollar 7900 laptop would help the market anyways so yeah i mean we're talking about something something if they min maxed it appropriately between 80 and 96 compute units with fast gddr6 Mm -hmm. i mean I, i think it can totally beat 4080 laptops which remember are just what, not even 4070 TIs? I mean, in specs, yeah. and below that in performance. So I think they could compete in high end, but unless you're going to tell me you're bringing this level of performance with 16 gigs of RAM to laptops at two grand, I don't, I don't want it for three grand, right? Yeah. Like, this is just stupid. And then comes the thing of the OEM just asking the unfortunate question, fair or not, is anyone going to buy a laptop with an AMD GPU? And a G- AMD sticker for two thousand. Yeah. Not many. I mean, the answer is not many people. And I think, yeah, in the desktop space, there's already a bias against that. And that, I think once you get to laptops, that bias is even worse. Which will be interesting to see how they a- advertise like Strix and stuff when that comes out, because they're going to have to get past that advertising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I hear Ryzen commands a name. I just think it's yeah. the Radeon sticker people don't care about, so they'll probably just... But it's an APU. It's Ryzen. Everyone loves Ryzen APUs. And there's a real question. If if they put APU in the title, people will go, oh, I want that. But separate? Yeah. I don't want it. <laughs> um, all right. Let us now move on to story number six. Getting out and enjoying the weather, or is it too hot to get outside? Well, either way, whether you're looking for an easy meal on the go or something quick and delicious while you're cooped up inside, Vite Ramen has you covered. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers tons of options for eating healthy. Their classic packages make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice, including new flavors like Radiant Crab Rue. And also their Ramen Go packages offer a healthy microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break away from home. Or they even have other healthy products like Nano Boost Powder that makes any food at least a little healthy. Click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% on a variety of products, including special bundles from Moore's Law Z fans, raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes, and other food products, powders, cooking utensils, and more. They are a plucky, small, but rapidly growing company that has been good to Moore's Law Dead for years. So, you know, supporting them helps support me, and even just clicking on the link below makes a big difference for Moore's Law Dead. But I really do like their products, and I recommend you try them as well. So check out Vite Ramen today. Really? Gonna keep the glasses on for more than a minute? Early Navi 43 and 44 performance and specs leak out. On August 18th, yours truly leaked a few interesting details about Navi 43 and Navi 44 products. Uh, multiple sources stated that they were mid-range. And there's been a lot of consternation out there recently when... You know, I uh, believe Kepler, someone else on Twitter, and then I followed up with like a whole report about why it seems like Navi 4C or Navi 41 and 42 are likely canceled. A lot of people were saying, well, if it's Navi 43, then that means this thing's going to suck. But the leak I put out suggested everyone said mid-range for both of them. Both Navi 43 and Navi 44 are distinctly labeled as mid-range, meaning from my perspective, I would assume that Navi 44 then is at least in the performance tier for next year and the following year that we see Navi 33 in now, at a minimum, if they're calling it mid-range, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worth, you know, remembering that, you know, I also put out that there was a pitch for 64 compute units as the design for Navi 43, and then 32 for Navi 44 not confirmed this is what they went with but one of my contacts saw a presentation months ago and said they were considering this at least in the past so let's just say that if they were going with 64 compute units even on four nanometer instead of a combination of five and uh six and it had gddr7 which can have i mean arguably double the bandwidth of gddr6 i, I just don't think it's insane to think that even a 250 millimeter square die or something could beat Navi 32 or even come up to Navi 31 performance. And that's really what this leak was all about. In fact, actually at Hot Chips, this is a little off subject, but it comes back here. Uh, Phoenix doubles the transistor count between Rembrandt and Phoenix. It has doubled the transistors and a 15% smaller die because it went from 6 to 4 nanometer. That means they could go, if they took Navi 33, 200 millimeter squared die, they could get to Navi 32 transistor counts possibly. 
So just, I think people are really sleeping on what (laughs) this means. Even if it was a 300 millimeter squared or smaller monolithic die, it's going to four nanometer and it has access to DDDR7, which nothing has access to right now. It could still be as strong as current gen flagships, which is exciting. Um, Oh, and another important part of that leak though, was that I added some context to AMD canceling Navi 4C that um, it wasn't because they don't think they could get it to work. It's just they know it would have cost a boatload of money in the tail end of development, and they don't think anyone wants $1,500 flagships right now. And if anything went wrong, they don't think it would have been worth the money, especially when it's not just about silicon capacity, but the packaging line, like the assembly line at TSMC that packages these things together, that Mm -hmm. would have been competing with MI300 and 400 assembly. So that's probably why they canceled it too. <laughs> I mean, you know. But anyways, what do you think about this leak? You know, it was meant to be kind of a more optimistic argument for why if you're so mad at top RDNA 4 being canceled, I mean, it still might be what you want it to be anyways. Yeah, I mean, I, I if it's 64 compute units, I would be surprised if it matched top Navi 31, but I mean, I don't know, it's believable that it could reach like 7900 XT levels and I don't know if it did that. That wouldn't be a terrible gen over. That wouldn't be a terrible uh, new generation uh, if it were low enough priced. And if they are de- uh, further developing their software stack a lot more, eh, I mean, I think this is kind of a generation that we've talked about being desirable. Obviously, I would prefer, even if it's only beating the 7900 XTX by like 10%, I would prefer it does that than lose to the 7900 XTX. But Eh, these things happen. Um, I do think from like a uh, percep- public perception uh, view, if it doesn't beat a 7900 XTX, that would be a pretty bad look for it, uh, a pretty bad PR look, unless they sold it for like 500 bucks. 500 or bucks. Well, but- <laughs> they could though, you know. I mean, it- if it's going from Navi 32, which is a $500 card, 200 millimeter squared of five nanometer. And then what is that? Like 130 millimeter squared of six nanometer. This could just be 300 millimeter squared of four nanometer alone, which isn't that much more expensive or any more expensive than five. So there's a chance you'd be looking at something that they could sell for $500, certainly less than 600. And that's where it becomes, yeah, if it beats the 7,900 XTX and therefore is around a 4090, even for less than half the price of a 4090, well, I think everyone's way more excited about that. For me, I think it needs to match the 7900 XT. Like, that's what Polaris did. It didn't, like, beat the 290X, certainly not the 390X, but it was kind of there. Mm-hmm. It, it needs to be as good as the 7900 XT for 500 or less. That's what it really needs to do, I think. Yeah, and if you had something like that, eh. yeah, that, that could be a new 580-type card that... Eh, RX 580. Yeah, RX 580 type card that like kind of rebalances the market, which once again, we've talked about that before too. Like, uh, that's the advantages of a quote unquote stagnant market is one you're not going up year over year in performance, prices fall, <laughs> which is and, what happened during the 28 nanometer stagnation era. You know, from Kepler, two generations of Kepler and Maxwell, and then multiple generations of GCN. I mean, we had pricing get absurdly low, and it's because performance and efficiency weren't increasing as fast as they used to. You know, Lovelace doubles performance and radically increases efficiency. It also costs a kidney to make. <laughs> yeah, and 
like obviously I, I think I would <laughs> everyone would prefer to have rapid decreases in price and uh, increases in performance, but that's just not how it goes. Uh, and sometimes you have to pick one or the other. I think the grand majority of the market is satisfied with even mid-range performance at this point. So eh, stagnation in, per- in top-level performance might be what's better for most people. Yeah, well, and I think, look, Ampere and RDNA 2, big performance uplift. Lovelace, again, a big performance uplift. And actually, RDNA 3, although it fell short of expectations, I mean, everyone has to acknowledge that it's like 50% better than the 6900 XT and like 35, 40% better than the 6950 XT. That's a typical generational uplift. So it wasn't a mm-hmm. small one either. We're there. We got the performance. Um, but devs aren't going to do anything if the only way to get to absurd frame rates is to spend two grand because no one has that. But if you, if everyone below, you know, between 300 and $500 had access to this performance, well, then games will use that as the baseline. And I think that's why it'd be much more impactful, too, in development and, like, actually making graphics and gameplay better. Um, Resident Mexican well, yeah, writes in. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, because that can be the other issue with rapidly increasing performances. It's just like, oh, yeah, the textures get way higher resolution to a degree that you don't even notice what they're improving anymore or they just start tessellating random things or, you know a series of random BS to push that new level of performance that doesn't functionally give you anything. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I mean, you'd say developers still haven't even caught up to CPUs. Our CPUs are so much stronger than what we had five years ago. I know that I think we're just starting to see developers do things with it. And it would be even next year, it would be better if we got, crazy cpu performance at 500 or lower than if there was some crazy tiled absurdity that costs a thousand dollars to get to something new you want you want flagship of last gen to get cheaper or the uplifts aren't really going to help gamers yeah um resident mexican writes in and says hello tom and dan since you leaked that high-end rdna4 is canceled do you think that amd will take this opportunity to work extra hard on their software features and drivers even though amd gpus usually has better overall price to performance they're always behind on software features it feels like lately yes and that's something i brought up with high yield i realized what live during our conversation i think there's you know you look at dlss 3.5 next to fsr 3 and you go is there a point in AMD trying to charge two grand? Like, let's say AMD launched Navi 4C, which we leaked the configuration of it on the last broken silicon, uh, news broken silicon. Do you think there would be a point in AMD launching a $2,000 graphics card that beats NVIDIA's $1,800 5090, let's say, if its software was just way worse is any enthusiast actually going to choose the two thousand dollar amd card even if it wins by 20 percent in raster if fsr is way behind i know my answer is no they need mm-hmm. to catch up in software unless they can launch something that has like 50 percent more raster for the same price but i don't think navi 4c would have i think it would have cost more to make and people aren't going to spend more for AMD unless they catch up to NVIDIA and everything. I think they're going to be taking their time next year to solve this problem, hopefully. Oh, yeah, and I mean, you have to look at it. If Navi 33, or not 33, if Navi 43 is going to end up having 64 compute units, just imagine what 31 
was supposed to have. <laughs> I mean, if they would have launched that, that that would have been I, uh, presumably a massive I, I gen think over gen up. Conservatively, I think probably 144. Yeah, and I don't know if that means that now AMD is selling cards for two thousand dollars. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, you got the 7900 XTX because you got it for $800 with Resident Evil 4. It may have been like 850, I don't know. Yeah. Um and you were never going to get it for 1500. So, you're no. more happy it actually went down in price. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um Sans writes in and he says, "Hello fellow nerds, do you think that AMD will reuse the Navi 31 and 32 packaging for lower end die configurations in the future? An example could be some sort of, I don't know, Navi 53 configuration having two MCDs using 6 nanometer and then one 100 millimeter squared 3 nanometer GCD." Um my, I, I actually put this on the uh, script days ago and thought about it ahead of time. Like, my answer is I guess I could see them trying that, but there was a variant of Navi 33 that was just that. Like, we did, it, there were two versions they had on the table one that had more compute units, bandwidth, and the ability to have not just, I think, MCDs, but stack them. So a lot stronger. And then an option for this monolithic 200 millimeter squared six nanometer offering we got today in the 7600. And they said they didn't think it was worth the chiplets. They didn't think it was worth it. Like the performance increase, the price to make it was not worth it. If they made that decision last year, I'm going to assume they're not going to change their mind next year. Right. And when I hear that Navi 43 and 44 are both monolithic, which I do hear that. I, I, I don't think so. I just don't think, and you know, honestly, Anything that's below 200 millimeter squared should probably be monolithic, usually or almost always. Right? It re- the only reason, by the way, I think Ryzen on desktop uses three chiplets is because it shares it with Epic. That's it. Like, yeah, that makes if sense. it didn't share it with Epic, I don't think they would have. They would have made that a monolithic. Yeah, I, I mean, there's no real. There's just not a, a reason, like what he says. I, I mean. How big would that die? Would that total package even be? Like, yeah, that would be less than two hundred millimeters. So, yeah. So why and, why make two MCDs and a one hundred millimeter squared die if you can make a one thirty millimeter squared total three nanometer die that's even more efficient and probably doesn't cost that much more to make at a certain point? I, I think that's what they would choose to do. In fact, I'd even argue I don't know if they should have made Navi thirty two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think unless they made Navi 31 bigger and then that's why they had that. I, I almost honestly wonder if like they only needed one die they cut down. I really do wonder mm. that to this day. Yeah. Um, Technolads writes in, just finished watching your RDNA 4 video and I think it made me realize that I might have mild ADHD because I kept watching two minute sections and then kept going back doing something else at the same time. Notice I missed so much information and started over. I think it took me three hours to finish your 27-minute video. Honestly, I do have diagnosed ADHD have for most of my life, technical ads, and I do that sometimes with videos, <laughs> like especially like a complex like real-life lore or payroom YouTube video or something. I'll be like, oh, let me do this while I'm doing something else. And like, or like economics explained, and I'm like, I missed the entire argument for why this economy works that way. Like, <laughs> I need to start over. I think there are some videos I've had to watch like three times, even though they're 15 minutes long. But anyways, this question. How do you think Navi 43 and laptops will be branded? 
You think it will be 8700M, 8800M. You think we could see Aces switch back to AMD in their G14 with RDNA 4, since those usually use mid-range dies anyways, and have something that demolishes the 4090 mobile before NVIDIA has a Blackwell offering. If that is the case, would there be a possibility that NVIDIA could release 8102 on laptop? No, it's too big. Um, at least within reason. Like it's Anything's possible, but widespread? No, that's too big of a die. Um, I mean, I don't know. Right now, I think they call the 7600 the 7700M, so I think you've got your answer probably right there. And if what NVIDIA is doing in laptop, which, remember, AMD's competing with NVIDIA, not in a vacuum, is anything to go by, I mean... It'll probably be an 8800M. I mean, it could be. I mean, NVIDIA's calling their 4060 Ti die a 4078 gigabyte on laptop, so... If that trend continues, yeah, I'd expect them to call it an 8700M. <laughs> um, which, you know, Strix Halo is 40 compute units of RDNA 3.5, so we're looking at a dedicated card here that's probably double the performance or something, maybe, of Strix Halo. Yeah, I think 8700 then at least. Yeah, I mean, it also remains to be seen what next they'll even call next-gen anyways. Like, who knows, maybe they'll call the uh, Navi 43, the 8800 XT or something. If if it comes out, I think they would consider that if it beat the 7900XDX. Yeah. Although, from what I've heard, 8700XD is still the thought. Okay. So, I, 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 and I, I would recommend to them that be what they do. <laughs> but, you know, they just launched a 7800XD that's really a 7800 or arguably 7700XD at best. So, who knows what's going on anymore. QH Freddy writes in and he asks, well, NVIDIA will NVIDIA ditch the high-end gaming market actually mean that they stop making a 103 die and only sell 102 dies in Quadro cards? What if they just make the 102 die smaller and basically say, if you want more AI performance, you have to go with the big, pure, compute A100, H100-like cards? What if they just ditch 102 and 103 class dies altogether? Oh, so he's talking about, like, I've heard, like, if NVIDIA comes to the conclusion that people aren't interested in buying $2,000 graphics cards, they might say, all right, 103 die it is, called it the 6080 and we're out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's like saying, do you think they would actually even stop making 103 or what would they do? Yeah, I mean, I think what you'd probably see is one of two things. I mean, they'd focus more on like the hopper end of it where maybe they'll have several dies just for AI and then they have a 103 die that's their biggest one. I think that, yeah, that is what they would do in this scenario. Or the alternative is they do have a 102 die, but kind of actually, we've seen this before, people. Like Kepler, it comes out way later than the main gaming dies that they're calling a stronger card than they really are. And it's the Titan wasn't when it first came out, but it's heavily cut down. Let's remember, the 3090 is like cut down 4% over the 3090 Ti that eventually came out. And also the A6000 from back then. The 4090s cut down, I believe, 12%. So I could see what happens is there's a 5090 that's cut down like 25% or something. (laughs) Like they just, this is the yields they're not selling to prosumers. And then they just always leave that option to launch like a 30% stronger 5090 Ti if there's ever a threat whatsoever. I think that's what we'll see at first and eventually just... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they design 103 dies that are right up against the 2 nanometer reticle limit of like 400 millimeters squared, and then that's where they stop. 
I mean, yeah, there's a possibility, I suppose. Um, I mean, remember the 1080 Ti is a 102 die that I think is like 450 millimeters squared. So they already got close to the die size of a 103 die already in a previous gen. Yeah, I I mean, I I know their their internal code names, so there's probably more of a rigid reason of why they call them the things they do, but they can swap the names around too, to an extent still. (laughs) Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe they just end up calling the one what would normally be the 103 die or something the 102 die, and that's cut down version of that still gets to gamers. Okay, Hayubu writes in and says, Hello, Tom. I've been a listener for a few years now. Well, thank you. And I just recently became a patron. Well, thank you and welcome. On Broken Silicon 219, you mentioned the 4090 did it in terms of performance to enable photorealism, among other things. And now the next challenge was to make that level of performance affordable so main to the mainstream so developers will actually build games for that level of performance. Will the next generation, not refreshes or mid-gen updates of consoles, do that? I, th- I, th- I think so. I mean... Rumors I've seen of the PS5 Pro, which, to be fair, I can only verify there is a PS5 Pro design. I don't have, from my sources, the specs of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like it's, you know, at least... I trust Kepler, and he's talked about it a little bit, you know, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like it's going to be double the performance of a PS5, at least. So we're looking at, we're being honest, pretty close to 7900 XDX. I would assume the PlayStation 6 will at least double that performance in a four years or something. <laughs> Probably at least double. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe so three maybe three, four, four exit. And so, yeah, I think we'll be well beyond 4090 performance in the PlayStation 6. Um, and we'll we'll probably have games that go for photorealism at 60 hertz or 45 hertz. And there will be some games that just choose to not be photorealistic so they have a locked 120 hertz. Mm-hmm. But I think we're absolutely with the PlayStation 6, we're going to see that. Um. All right, well, let us move on from all of the stories that I actually enjoy covering to the one that I feel like I have to cover at gunpoint with story number seven. I just labeled this Linus Tech Tips Controversy. There will be links in the description. Um, I think for the most part, actually, what I've seen over the past it's funny. I think this all came out actually right after the last news episode in yeah. my live stream, which thank you, Fate. I didn't want to have to cover that without taking time to decide if I want to or not. I didn't want to have a knee jerk opinion on this really for two reasons. Like, number one, I don't care that much. It's not that I don't care about some of the things alleged, it's just I want to talk about Zen 5, Air Lake, Blackwell, and RDNA 4, not drama. That's this is not a drama covering channel. So even if some of it's serious, if you have seen a lack of us covering it, I guess it was a deliberate decision, but it wasn't a deliberate decision like tactic 5D chess for views. It was, I don't care to talk about it. I do care about some of the things, but I don't care to talk about it. And if I don't care to talk about it, the number one thing I've noticed in my videos that do well is I was excited to talk about the subjects. And some channels were, and some of their videos were good. Some of them apparently were complete garbage. Uh, but they probably did them because they had something to say. And I just didn't have that much to say. And I do think a lot of people in the comments have said they've enjoyed just the usual coverage here, where some channels in a slow news week seem to just cover drama. I tried harder to get Zen 5 in RDNA 4 leaks. Um, <laughs> but... That's my spiel out of the way. 
I kind of tasked you with covering this story, Dan. How would you summarize what's happened here? Because it all started, of course, with Gamers Nexus alleging or putting out a video. Uh, critiquing would be a nice way to put it. Minus tech tips. What happened? So, I, I mean, I would say, so from what I can tell, it seems like Linus had like a behind the scenes video where one of their engineers or something said something that kind of seemed like they were taking a shot at uh, Gamers Nexus and Hardware Unbox specifically, where they said, and we can redo all of our testing with everyone, unlike these two, which I did think was a weird thing to specifically call out Hardware Unbox and Gamers Nexus, who I, I personally... I, I don't want to say like anyone does the best because I watch a bunch of different channels and I think all of them do different things well. Uh, but I think they're two of the best benchmarking channels uh, on YouTube, certainly. And I, I think Gamers Nexus took that as a his cue to put out a pretty big hit job on Linus Tech Tips, t- calling out a lot of their errors over the past year, I would say. And I don't want to cover the errors too specific too specifically gamers nexus put out a 40 minute video the majority of it was that um i think if you watch linus tech tips regularly you've noticed that to some extent that they've been i remember us commenting on that like a month ago or two months ago certainly earlier this year i would say the first half of this year there was a point where i don't remember if we said it in a podcast but we were like i don't know if we need to cover their reviews anymore because i found a massive error in one of them like and it was a if you know i'm not hardware and boxer gamers nexus like i sometimes catch things that i don't think they do but if i caught something really quick that was like a technical error in testing when that's not my job that's an issue that that ever got through linus tech tips and yeah i thought they were improving a month ago but it but then actually in recent content, there were seeing even more errors again. So sorry, continue. Yeah. And I know some of the commentary is, has been to an extent like at gamers nexus, don't throw stones in glass houses. I think gamers nexus, I'm sure errors get into every major, uh, major benchmarking channels, uh, testing from time to time. I've never noticed anything as glaring as what I saw in Linus tech tips as of like, I would say Lovelace onwards. Um, and then mm. they covered other, I would say, more serious ethical issues and less negligence issues where I, I would say these are pretty, the there's Linus is supposedly investing in certain companies and giving those companies products positive reviews. Well, it might be public that he's making those investments. I think that's each person's own. I don't know what line you think crosses an ethical barrier. I would just say take like Noctua reviews from Linus with a grain of salt. Uh, I think Linus is their videos are generally pretty good. Uh, even <laughs> you can generally tell when something is a quote unquote paid for, but I do think if it's a direct investment, that's getting crossing a different ethical line than if you're doing like a paid for review. So that's not good. And then mm-hmm. there was the other issue where they, it seems like they kind of stole a uh, prototype piece from like a startup company that makes power blocks uh, while simultaneously giving it a negative review in their testing because they didn't actually test it on the card it was designed for. That's pretty, all of that's really bad. Huh. Not, so in my view, none of this stuff is quote unquote like cancelable. Uh, I think it's just an improve, uh, uh, suggest that ethically and as far as their testing goes, they've 
fallen off a cliff as of late. And then they put immediately after Gamers Nexus, they put Nexus's video, they put out a. I heard the response was like worse than even the allegation. Well, not worse than the allegation, but made it way worse than saying nothing probably would have. Yeah, they put out a blog post where Linus, I, I, I couldn't actually find the blog post. I don't know if that's just because it's hard to find specific posts on there if it's deleted. But oh. I, I, I linked it here. I sent you a timestamp video from Gamers Nexus's follow-up video to their original video that shows a screenshot of their blog post, where I think a really big point um, is that in that this blog post, Linus specifies that they didn't sell this prototype power block. They auctioned it off. <laughs> it's like, I think yeah, you're I missing the substantive point. And then later they put out, I would say, a better video where they said, yeah, we've noticed that our stuff has been lowering in quality over time. And uh, we're going to have an independent review board review our stuff now. Um, and they're trying to be more ethically above board, which is good. But I think you need to see, all right, this is their testing period over the next four months. What are their reviews going to look like? Are they going to improve? Are there going to be fewer errors? Well, and earlier this year, me and you, like I said, agreed oh man their quality's falling off a cliff and then there was like a month where we were like seems to be getting better and then it fell off a cliff again is it going to get better for four months then just go to shit again yeah so that as far as they're like testing and the substantive things that like make it to their channel go i uh, those are the big things from linus tech tips and then i think it needs to be mentioned um uh although you have to acknowledge that it's a he said, she said. These allegations aren't directly linked to Linus, but people at the company. Obviously, Linus Tech Tips is a boys club. If you watch their <laughs> response video to Gamers Nexus, notice the male to female ratio of employees in that room. There's like one woman in that entire video. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, a former employee at Linus Tech Tips came out and said that she was constantly belittled, sexually harassed, and apparently groped several times which is oh, bad the last one especially it's like and then she, there's no oh i misinterpreted there <laughs> it, it took me a few days to like read this because i she posted all of this on twitter and i hate the way twitter does threads and this is like a dozens of tweets well, they fixed it Dan, it's now called x oh thank god so this is like a dozens of tweet long thread and it's just like if you're gonna do that can you just put out a blog post but <laughs> I, I, I linked a screenshot of the most substantive substantive thing I think she puts out that could speak negatively to the reputation of the company and not just individuals there, where she says she was essentially taken out of videos when she pressed the issue on sexual harassment, which is <sighs> really bad if that's true. And again, it's like, it's fundamentally a he said, she said thing, and unless some video or more proof comes out, but yeah, it and sounds like... It's a very believable allegation at a minimum. It's hard for me to talk about it because I don't. It's hard. Yeah, I, 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 am a evidence based person, and I just it's. But I, I don't want to get into why I would. I am inclined to believe here, you know. But I am, and it's. But then I say that I feel it's always a tricky thing to talk about. Yeah, he said. She said. Situations are always hard to talk about because. You don't want to assume someone's lying, but you don't want to assume you don't want to say somebody is guilty before they've proven been proven guilty. But it seems like we do not think she's lying. <laughs> yeah. And I, I believe in their video, they said that they're going to look into those allegations more 
specifically, but like, I mean, if it's true that she was not fired, but taken out of like content because she was initially hired because she was like there as a guest and people liked her. So they just hired her full time. So if she was taken out of content because of the fact that she was pressing being sexually harassed, that's pretty bad. Yeah, that's (laughs) very bad. So that's the situation. I mean, I don't think anything that's come out is necessarily we should be raising pitchforks at like Linus specifically, but um, I would say that company needs an overhaul uh, if they want to be cont- continue to be viewed as like a valuable channel in the space, I would say, because I, I, for the longest time, like I thought Linus tech tips was a great middle ground between like mm. geeky and um, uh, the like entertain lighter. Qu- lighter, quicker entertainment and the quicker, not 30 minute videos like me or <laughs> gamers Nexus or hardware unbox does 10 minute videos that, quick yeah you know it was a good middle ground you know at its best but at its worst it was like how much money do you guys have and you put this out with zero like again like the it wasn't sold it was auctioned who approved that apparently nobody it was just posted yeah because like well if you're putting out reviews that are are less in-depth than like some of the channels that don't get as many views like hardware unboxing gamers nexus although they're still huge channels in their own right (laughs) uh yeah if 10 times more people are watching a Linus tech tips review and like a quarter of their benchmarks have some error in them, well, how much good is that actually doing for informing people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, because I won't say the names of the channels, but there are some (laughs) channels that (laughs) benchmark that can't seem to do anything competently. And yet people are watching them. It'd be nice if there was someone in the middle there. And there was sometimes where it seemed like they were, but sometimes where I was like, well, if you're only entertainment, I have no reason to ever watch anything you do. Yeah. So, I mean, I, would you say anything else? Uh, I mean, I, I, well, I guess let me just get to this reader mail. Dova X writes in and says, hello, Tom and Dan. Well, Tom and Dan. I don't know if that's an intentional slide or not, but I think it is. What are your thoughts about the issues of the relationship between Linus Tech Tips and brands like Noctua or Asus? Context and he has a timestamp to it. Did you look into this? What is the context here? Uh, the context is that they have some like co-branded Noctua screwdrivers or something. So obviously they have a brand deal and they typically positively review Noctua parts. So I, I mean, not good, I, I, but in general, if you're up front that something is a quote unquote paid for review or something like that, I don't think it's crossing that big of an ethical boundary. But if you have, if he has like, stake in some of these companies and he's doing reviews for some of these that for some of these companies that's i think crossing a barrier that they need to put a stop to as well yeah i i don't know any of these specific things because i really only checked linus tech tips if there was something really weird they were doing like they set up 16k how hard does it crush your performance i just thought that was interesting mm-hmm. or oh they reviewed the 4080 so i guess let me watch this video is only like you know shorter than everyone else's so i can throw this on top for another opinion before i get to my analysis but i I, what i'm saying is i always skipped any of those videos anyway so yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's the problem is i i I typically only watch their reviews so (laughs) the more questionable content by them i think i probably just miss by default because i'm less interested in those videos yeah it's interesting too when they do their videos like how much of it has merch 
like just mm-hmm. constantly. And from what I can tell, um, you know, because at least we made enough money to pay me, you, Gerard, like so we can churn out multiple pieces of content a week that I think we keep high quality. Um, you know, I've noticed like you you want a base from Patreon typically, then you grow with ads. I've seen Colin Moriarty at Sacred Symbols basically confirm this too. Like then the ads can become a much larger proportion than you'd think. After that is when you go for merch. It's really not worth trying to sell merch to 200 people. <laughs> but once yeah. you get into the tens of millions, that's where actually merch, they may be making more money in merch than their ad deals. Uh, like yeah. if they're selling it to millions of people. And it's just interesting to see how much of that there is. And you just got to, that, that's why I think, you know, for the size of our channel, the amount of patrons we have is huge. And I think trying to focus on that first means if you get this feeling, and what I'm about to do for an ad deal, does this feel a little crummy? The more people you have in a strong base with a strong Patreon, which I believe Gamers Nexus also does, um, means the more likely you are to go, we don't need that money. We're already getting enough from it here. Mm-hmm. And I will say, maybe they need to reevaluate that too. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's I constant in their videos. There, I mean, there's a lot to of judge. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I think Linus Tech Tips needs to reevaluate, but. <laughs> Um, Karen Osugata writes in and asks, if I was asked what value computers can have to a company, I would start by saying reducing costs through automation and increasing revenue by offering new products or services. In that light, I find it a bit strange that trying to automate game benchmarking is so criticized. I can certainly understand a bad implementation and then being criticized for that, but why would the inherent concept be bad do you think there is potential value in automating game benchmarking and if so what would you suggest the minimum requirements should be in order for it to be viable and p.s to be clear i'm not suggesting that everything involved with game benchmarking should be automated there will always be a role for subjective analysis if anything the more that data gathering can be automated the more time there should be for subjective analysis uh in theory i agree with everything you said gary i don't really disagree yeah at all i I think you have to have some degree of automated benchmarking and and maybe at least one or two canned benchmarks in a review just so it's crazy easy for everybody to check your results. Mm-hmm. Like that is a thing in and of itself. Like when you see every reviewer say, well, I tested this part of Assassin's Creed and it's kind of here, but you know, sometimes they upload the exact section where they walked and you can even download something to follow the same footsteps. That's good. But if you're not doing that, it's kind of hard for me to check your work. So I think some amount of canned benchmarking is useful. And then automating the benchmarking process, I think that just makes sense for a part of the review. But there has to be qualitative real-world testing next to it. And a lot of reviews don't do that. And it's because it takes time. But, I mean, yeah. is, it re- is it really a review? And, and if you're one of these places that has a, a house of 200 people working there, can, can you not literally pay someone to play with two graphics cards? for a day i mean and i think you have to because you're never going to get a good perspective on what it's actually like to get a product unless you actually use it so i think it's all about both streamlining streamlining what you can so that it's repeatable quantitative testing and then doing a bunch of qualitative gaming and going yeah 40 70 doesn't feel actually better than the 30 90 did it feels about the same if not worse you know yeah, and to a degree, if you don't do that, I just think you're you can lose sight of what you're doing. Yeah, but if you only do automated benchmarking, yeah, you can miss crazy things. Yeah, <laughs> um, and that's why I think you always have to do both. But I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about the uh, Linus Tech Tips stuff? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Just all right. I don't either, and I'm exhausted. So let's get through this here. All right. Um, 
Let us then move on to the wrap-up. These are the final stories that don't get their own story because we just didn't have time or didn't think it was worth it. And actually, we already had seven. We usually only have six. Uh, but they are worth mentioning. Um, number one, Dragon Range X got reviewed. And surprise, it's the fastest gaming laptop processor. Yeah, not, not really a surprise. but <laughs> Also, the Intel leaks that this channel put out about Granite Rapids Entirely confirmed at hot chips by Intel. Two I.O. chiplets and then compute chiplets with uh, memory controllers on them. Exclusively oh, yeah. confirmed here. I believe some websites covered it, but I feel like that went a little undercovered. And I'm just pointing this out now. Guys, we also leaked what Diamond Rapids looks like. So no one acts surprised when Intel <laughs> confirms it in a couple, well, in a year or something. Uh, but so that was exciting. Also, Intel failed to acquire a company called uh tower what is it tower semiconductor i I brought i bring this up only because i am told directly by one of my best contacts that this is very 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 bad for intel and that Mm -hmm. they needed tower semiconductor to handle some of the work they did um otherwise maybe they just can't keep up with amd so i'm just pointing this out because i'm and this was someone who told me it was going to go down how it was going to go down and it went down how this person said it would. So I take this pretty seriously that I think this means once again, Intel is going to have to make more cuts throughout the company because they can't afford to do everything they were trying to do unless they acquired that other company. Um, also the RX 6750 golden rabbit edition. I was actually saving a few details I had about this for some leak. Like if I did a musings combination micro leak video or came to, it seems like most of the cats or I should say most of the rabbits out of the bag Mm -hmm. on this one. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, my, the only thing I would add on to what video cards leaked, which is that. The Golden Rabbit Edition 6750 10 gigabyte is actually a 6700 with like a 6750 TDP, which is very underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> and I would be surprised if it matched a 6700 XT, even if clocked that fast. Um, I've also heard there's a 12 gigabyte model still, though, and I don't really know what that means. Is it Navi 22 cut down or 21 cut down to a 192 bit bus? Or is it just a 300-watt 6750 XT? I don't know. But what I do know is both of those things are out there. There is also a 12-gigabyte 6750 Golden Rabbit Edition, at least in concept. If they launched or not, I guess I can't confirm. And I'm told the entire point of these products is to try to bring a 4060 killer to the $300 price point in China, with a 4060 supposedly selling well. And so, yeah, they'll have a, a 6750 Golden Rabbit Edition 10-gigabyte that uses double the energy of the 4060, but it perhaps is 20% stronger with extra RAM at the same price. That's the idea. Um, on the subject of low-end graphics cards, we also have Navi 23 supposedly already end of life. It's not official, but it comes from one of those accounts you know, that has been pretty reliable in the past, I believe. Um, and it's funny because... I've seen a lot of people reporting why wouldn't they end of life Navi 23 so the 7600 or 6600 XT 6650 XT when the 7600 is a cheaper better version of that which is true but mm-hmm. also guys my understanding is they've made enough Navi 23 for 2 years or something stupid so <laughs> <laughs> not only do they have enough forever but Navi 33 is less expensive to produce and like 
just better. So, mm-hmm. yes, no surprises there. Um, and then this popped up last minute before we started recording, or really, I think it was from a day ago or something, or the beginning of today. But um, Intel, <laughs> there's websites reporting that Intel Arc is well and alive because someone noticed a battle mage die in the failure lab in Intel. Hell yeah. Oh, nothing says things are going well than Battle Mage, a product that was announced to come out this year. The only sighting of it has been in a failure analysis lab in Intel. Hell yeah. Guys, there's a lot of <laughs> failed things uh, that there's pictures of out there like Navi, like that never come out from Radeon and NVIDIA. Uh, just mm-hmm. because someone's analyzing why this thing sucks uh, does not mean it's alive and well. But uh, really good reporting, everybody. Trying to point out that arc's doing well even though we still don't have the a580 yep. we don't even have the a580 <laughs> but we're talking about battle mage doing well like <laughs> is there any common sense in some reporting here um all right let us move on then to the final reader mails which a lot of these are about intel stuff that we didn't really have an intel story but so we're just going to try to cover your thoughts in the reader mails um Florida man writes in and says, Tom, regarding rentable units, which were leaked in a recent video or recent pieces of content for uh, Panther Lake and later, um, is this Intel's big answer to their long ongoing security flaws? Every mitigation they have to implement seems to be related to hyperthreading. Or is this just mean telling server customers to turn it off? So having a completely different approach might help for a while. Um I know. I, I think the fundamental reason and what I've heard somewhat at Intel tell me is they are aware their cores are too big. They're aware. And that rentable units organize cores into two units of core, uh, two core units to save die space on resources. So, no, that's why they're doing it. And also, they think they can get incredible single threading performance. Uh, is the hyper threading issue, which a lot of security flaws in Ryzen are. Uh, linked to smt as well by the way mm. is that maybe a little asterisk at the top where they're like yeah, we don't have to worry about that bullshit anymore <laughs> yeah maybe but that's not why they're doing it um qh freddy writes in yet again and says does intel need e-cores when they start using rentable units yeah yes they're going to be far more important and i'm going to be watching closely at air lakes multi-threading to see where they're going with this because you know, if they remove hyperthreading, those e-cores better get to Golden Cove status in a year or two. They want to keep up with the 24 and 32 core options AMD might have just next year. Um, Aiden writes in and he says, Hi, Tom and Dan. Two of the last big releases from Microsoft, Forza Horizon 5 and Starfield, offered paid early access, which was cost $30 for about the first week or so that you could play it before everybody else. And you already had to get the yeah, and, and you already get the game. And you already had to have Game Pass, I believe. Is this Xbox's solution to loss of revenue from day one game sales? Yes, uh, that's what it sounds like. Really, <laughs> pro pro consumer, Tom. <laughs> Pay thirty dollars yeah. to get it a week early, guys. They did it. Game Pass has made gaming cheaper. You pay Microsoft hundreds of dollars a year, and then you also still pay day one sales. Yeah, great. <laughs> Nobody, like not me or you, Dan, were saying this was an inevitability that they'd have to start charging more eventually to make up for their loss, their horrible like anti-profit margins. Certainly no one could have seen this coming. Yay, Game Pass <sighs> saves gaming. 
Florida man writes in that new 32 inch 4K 240 hertz monitor looks excellent that I've seen online recently. Have we reached peak gaming monitor at least before we reach holograms? No, I'm sure there will be better monitors every few years. Uh, in fact, I remember the 1080p stagnation, and then we went from like absolute garbage LCD to LED to IPS. And I mean, I think I own like three different 1080p monitors, and they felt <laughs> yeah. light years better. Yeah, uh, there's more than just re- uh, resolution and uh, frame rate. So things will keep getting better, even if resolution doesn't improve for a while. Indubitably. All right, Dan, that is all the stories, all the things we had to cover for this episode. And it is in the middle of the night and I haven't even eaten dinner yet. So I am exhausted. Is there any other things you wanted to discuss on this episode before you turn around and fall asleep on that bed? I don't think so. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Dan, for coming on so late. I want to thank everybody for listening. Remember, you'll get this. Some people already did. If you're hearing this in the free feeds, got this episode early and ad free on Patreon. Just $2 a month gets you die shrink uh, and the ability to ask us questions um, and access to the Discord. $4 a month gets you broken silicon early, ad free, and free questions on loose ends and free reader mail uh, for broken silicon and, and thanks in the credits. And there's other tiers and content higher and higher. It's, I said it recently, it's not even a cup of coffee, Dan. It's a can of tuna a month to support us. And we can't do this without our patrons. Yeah. We, you know, we, there's, I, there's, you know, some episodes where we have less ads than others, and there's some pieces of content every now and then without an ad, and I don't sweat it because I know that I don't have to find some crazy deal with Noctua to make ends meet. The people there are funding us and putting bread on the table anyway. So, again, thank you to everybody for supporting us. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to Broken Silicon, a podcast app of choice. Uh, not Stitcher, apparently, because I guess that service is now dead. So all Apple Podcasts, apparently, and Spotify. <laughs> and uh, eh, no, I have nothing else to say. Thanks for watching and listening, everybody, and have a good rest of your week. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawsdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content truly 
possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Foles, E. Jits, Daniel D, Aaron Close, Jen Rado, Daniel Hyde, Brian Riggleman, Sam Miller, MJV1, Deke, GC Ziggy, Asenius Chalmers, Jem Ferreira, Andrew S, Falcon Malev, General Drips, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Eric Jackson, Sarcastro, Evan Dingle, Greg Wancha, Chris Rich, Nicholas Buckner, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Jesse Jeskowie, x 3 dsb 8 Hal Buma, Blake, Hardforum.com, Franco Frederick, Shredbird, Dr. Foreman, Jake223, Jake Martin, Slicky, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, Stefan Hart, Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Ian Clifford, Travis Gooding, Nanny, and Sammy Malas, Deepest Learners, Mads, Zoot Suit Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Gross, Stephans, Jordan Simkovic, Amiable Chief, Win Wang, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Julian Leak, I Should, Mark Raidmaker, The Boss Haas, James Anderson, Cole Addict, Judson N, Cameron, Wesley, Wesley Shager, Henry Zhang, Michelle Pell, D31337, Antics, Roger Davies, Cameron, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Meyer Tech, Rance, Reginald Ari, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, Gregory Sacker, Nithruzink, The Eternal Dreamers, JSMMH, Game and Sense Reagan, Jeff Settler, AWS Danny, Loophole 35, Windstar, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany, Shay, Milton, Post Media, Dave Schultz, Mac Daffy, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glidden, Britt Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I7, 11700K, Joe Foote, Hardland, Slushboss, C2, Jensen, Angima, Joseph Kelly, Samuel Park, Keith Moore, Himsa, Gun, Tails, 2299, Brian Wright, John Sisophos, Earth Taurus, The Forbidden Juice, Fenty, CC, Kiko Sato, Toka, RB Racer, Me, Vale, Vega, AC, Colin Tadards, Lord Starstream, Michael Cozy, Dr. J. Mads, Alex Vega, Free D, John Swin, Ronan BC, Terminal Junkie, Brian Wright, Jed Baldwin, Joe LaMartina, Kikum, Elbert Gunn, Solarized 80, Christopher Ricks, Jamie Worth, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 